Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Feels a little bit like we're landing. We're saying thank yous and things. But you know, a conference has ebbs and flows, and we've gone with all the thank yous and the closing off, and we're going to go out on a high. So I was wondering if you guys would just give your shaky little tail feathers. You're even allowed to lift up your bum off your chair and shake your little tail feathers if you want and just ruffle yourself up because God is not quite finished with you and he's got one more thing to say to you and it could possibly be the most important thing you ever hear in your whole life. So are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? My mum uh, is a beautiful, beautiful lady, and she used to do a lot of sun tanning when she was young, and I was her little girl. And oftentimes she would be lying, sun tanning, and I would come because I would need something, and I would come up to her to ask her something, and she would look up at me and say, My lovey, the sun has traveled 150 million kilometers, and you have stopped it two meters away. Would you mind stepping out of the sunshine. I also had an aunt that loved to suntan, the two of them absolutely the most beautiful ladies in the world. And I remember one time the two of them lying in the sun together on sun chairs and my aunt's husband came up to her and in passing there's his gorgeous bombshell wife lying in her bikini and he says to her, oh lovey, you are so beautiful. And she said to him, You know the words? No, I'm not. What do you mean? I don't think so. And it occurred to me that she was doing exactly the same thing to herself that I was doing to my mom, and that is stopping something just before it got to her that had come from a very far way or a very big intention. And I wonder today, as God's love has traveled through the centuries and through the scriptures and through the preparation and through my own personal life experience, just so that it could reach you, whether you would stop it with your hand just before it gets to you, or whether you're going to take the risk of letting go of your barriers and letting the love of God hit you fully on your full self, possibly for the first time in your life. Have you ever met a woman who believed the words of her lover? Have you ever seen a woman who believed the words of her lover. It is the most beautiful thing to behold. Very, very rare to see a woman who just knows that she is loved, that she is adored, that she is just content with who she is and what her lover thinks of her. A lover will go to any lengths and extremes to try and convince the one that he loves that he she is loved. I remember Richard, when we were dating, he, um, he had this big plan to convince me just how special I was to him. And he was living in a shared house at that time, a, a digs we called it, here in Cape Town. And he, he kicked all his digs mates out of the house. And he was going to set up this special romantic dinner. But, okay, he was a student, so we couldn't afford to go out to a restaurant. So he was going to make a restaurant at his home. And so he prepared this meal, shrimp cocktail, if you don't man for starters. Uh, I have no idea what was for main course and I think the pudding was probably some sort of uh, cream, creme brulee, something. Actually no, it was strawberries and cream. 
So he had gone to great lengths to prepare this dinner beforehand, and then at Cape Town, cold, he'd gotten the fireplace going, and he'd, he'd tried to light it. But this fireplace, it's, it's, it digs of students. It had not been used probably ever. And he was trying and trying, and he was looking at his watch, and the fire wasn't starting, and perhaps it was a little bit closed up and dusty. And eventually, after trying for about 35 minutes, he was running really late to come and pick me up. And he had to give up, and he came to fetch me, and he blindfolded me, and he drove me through all the streets backwards and all around where we shouldn't have gone. And then he parked in the road, because we never, ever parked in the road. We always went in the kitchen door, and blindfolded, he led me in the front door. I didn't even know that their digs had a front door until that moment. And so we walked in the front door, and then he, he took off my blindfold, and I had no idea where we were, <laughs> because I was so not used to that entrance to the house. And as we walked into the living room where he'd set up this table for two, the fire was blazing hot in the fireplace, and he was so delighted that his preparations had been worth it. Imagine God preparing a place for you, preparing a fire for you to come and warm yourself at, preparing a meal for you. Is it possible? Is it even allowed <laughs> in church and in religion to speak about God loving us in that kind of way? In Song of Songs, there's this uh, rather scandalous verse that says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Right in the beginning of Song of Songs, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. What exactly are they referring to there? It's a little bit confusing. What are we allowed to believe about God? In fact, it carries on like this, let him smother me with kisses. So kind are your caresses. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Draw me into your heart. We will run away together into the king's bedroom. Have you ever longed for an intimate relationship with God? Wondered to what level of intimacy or what level of relationship are you allowed to have with God? Have you ever longed for something more, something deeper, just felt like there was more to what you were wanted with God? Today, this afternoon, before you go home, I want to leave you with the thought that God is closer than you think. God is so much closer than you think. I don't know what your history or background is in church or religion. Perhaps like the picture you have understood God behind a barrier, stained glass windows, somewhere a little bit out of reach. Perhaps without realizing it, you've fooled fallen into an Old Testament way of thinking about how God is and where He is and how we can uh, be together with Him. Now, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the first half of the Bible, we, are, we hear that there was a temple that God told them to build. And this temple was constructed in such a way to show just how holy God is and just how uh, out of reach having an intimate relationship with Him is actually. So what it looked like like is there was a building, but outside the building there was an outer court, and then there was an inner court, but beyond that there was an outer court. Now, you and me would only be allowed into the outer court if you are not Jewish. If you were Jewish, you were allowed through these huge big bronze gates into the inner court, and that is where you could make your sacrifices to God. Now, only priests were actually allowed in the building. If this was a temple, none of you would be here. You'd all be in the car park. So only the priests were allowed into the actual building. And they had to, in the, at the inner court, go through this ritualistic 
Isaac cleansing ceremony in order to go through again huge, big, heavy doors to step through into the holy place. And then inside the holy place, there was a little room separated just with a thin veil of curtain. And behind there was the holy of holies, the only place on earth where heaven and earth were united, where heaven and earth coexisted, just a few square meters. And behind that curtain, only the most high priest, once a year, was allowed to go. And when he went, everywhere he went, because that was so holy that it required a sacrifice of death and a spilling of blood in order to enter that place where God was. The presence of God existed. And he would go in, and as he went, he would be sprinkling once a year, sprinkling blood on the floor, sprinkling blood on the seat that was in there, the throne that was in there, that was the mercy seat, covered in crimson. Once a year which meant that nobody got in to clean it year after year. It would just be covered in layers and layers of blood spilt, noting that that was the most holy place, a place that nobody could go other than that high priest. And then Jesus. Now, Jesus, if you are wondering, why do I picture when people say Jesus? Jesus was quite scandalous. Quite the talk of the town, often putting people's ideas on their heads. Because when Jesus came, he started to speak about the kingdom of heaven quite openly. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven, it's at hand. It's just beyond your reach. Something's changing. Something's shifting. Are you ready for it? The kingdom of heaven is... It's just around the corner. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, we read that the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove in visible form and said, this is my son whom I love. And as Jesus continued his ministry, he would say absurd things. One time he even said to a religious leader who understood this whole temple business, he said to him, to Nicodemus, he said the following, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is currently in heaven. Jesus was standing on earth in front of Nicodemus and said, you don't obviously understand many things about heaven. The only person who understands heaven is the person who's come from heaven, the Son of Man who is actually currently in heaven. I said that there was only one place on earth, the Holy of Holies, where heaven and earth coexisted. But I was setting you up. There was another place, and that was in the very body and person of Jesus. Jesus, as he walked the earth, literally was heaven on earth. Everywhere he went, everything he touched, changed. Everything he, he came against changed. As Jesus came, he brought heaven onto earth. Now, Paul, a little bit later, writing to the Jewish people, trying to explain to them what Jesus had changed, explains to them that this temple that was built, the whole thing that they had been for year after year after year demonstrating, was actually just a model 
a little bit like a model of architecture when you've got big building plans and you can't quite picture it and they build you this cute little model of what's to come with little mini trees and little mini people to show you how it's all going to flow and look for those of us who need a little bit more help in understanding things that are yet unseen. God, the great architect, had actually been demonstrating to them and we hear in Hebrews that those priests serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Make it exactly like this, Moses, because this building is not just a new building. You can't just put the cry room where you want. It's exactly, it must be exactly the way I'm telling it to you because you're actually building a little mini model of architecture. And then we hear later on in the same book, as it, Paul is expounding to the Jewish people what's happened, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect building, not the one made with hands, not, not the created one, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into the actual heaven itself, not to appear, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The reality was that Jesus was that place where heaven and earth collided. And Paul carries on to explain that as Jesus died, on the cross, when his body was torn and his blood spilt from his side, at that moment, in reality, what happened on earth is the earth went dark, and in that temple, in the little model of architecture, the veil was torn top to bottom, and as it was ripped, showing that that veil was representative of the body of Jesus, and as it was torn, both the model and in reality, heaven flooded into earth everywhere that Jesus' blood touches, heaven has come to earth. Every person that chooses to walk onto the blood of Jesus is living as if they were in the holy of holy places, living their life. Can you imagine? What did you do this morning? Brushing your teeth, standing on the blood in the holy of holies, yelling at your kids, standing on the blood in the holy of holies, making love to your husband in the holy of of holies, your entire life lived out in the presence of God. God, ladies, is so much closer than you think. Now, this whole time I've been talking, imagine there was somebody sitting right here, somebody precious to me. Let's say Richard, my husband, sitting over here. And the whole time I'm talking, I never acknowledge his presence, but he's sitting there. Living in the Holy of Holies, do we turn and acknowledge the person that we're living right through? The person that we are living amongst? The person that we're living our lives for? Do we turn and acknowledge and say, Jesus, you are closer than we think? You see, can I explain to you, ladies, we often say, um, let me use an analogy of a, a, a 
groom and a bride to explain God to you. Let me use an analogy of a father and, and a child. And we think these are poor analogies because we're just trying to use examples. May I suggest that God did not say this is a good analogy to describe me? What if he created it as an illustration to show you what he's like? What if the very relationships that you are living in are actually created to show you what God is like? God is an incredibly intentional creator, and everything he's created, whether it's a model of architecture in the form of a temple, or whether it's the things that we experience every day, they are actually illustrations to help us to understand a greater truth, a truth that is greater than these bodies and these relationships and the messiness of earth that are actually showing us something that is far more eternal and far more real. Now, my husband, I spoke earlier about him trying to convince me that he loved me. He was very intentional around trying to convince me that he loved me, and I was a typical female perhaps a typical human, if I'm fair to females, in that I did not believe him for a very long time. And he tried desperately hard to convince me that he loved me. Over and over again, he would tell me that he loved me day in and day out. And I had a choice to make, whether or not to believe him. And you know what finally helped me to get over the line was when I started to realize the sacrifices that he was making for me, sacrifices that he wouldn't even highlight necessarily. Sometimes I would, this might sound very silly to some of you, but sometimes I would be in a conversation with somebody and they would turn to Richard and say, yo, how was that test match yesterday? And Richard would say, no, I, I didn't watch it. And I'm thinking, oh, we were totally hanging out yesterday. You didn't tell me that there was a test match on. I'm sorry. You, but he's intentionally sacrificed in order to help me to understand just how much value I had in his eyes. And today I want to propose that, that our love relationships could help us to understand how God sees us. I just want to unpack three specific love relationships. Uh, the first one, loved like a bride. To see if we can understand and, and use them as models to help us to understand how we can relate to God. Seeing as that God is closer than we think, just how are we able to relate to Him and what are the truths about Him? So the first point, love, loved like a bride. Eventually, I had a choice to make. After I knew and after years of track record of Richard loving me, was I going to let him? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, the verse says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. At one point in time, we have to decide, am I going to let this man love me? Am I going to believe it? Am I going to put my faith in it? Because it is a scary thing to lean fully on another person's love. But here's what happened. I decided to give it a try, and I leaned into Richard, and I said I believed in his love, and I started to live like I believed it. His love relationship with me was like a gateway, like a model that opened up a love relationship for me with God that I had never had before. I started to realize that God was passionately crazy about me, that he would like to be with me more than he would like to be with anybody else, more than he would like to be watching the rugby, more than he would like anything, that he was passionately, crazily in love with me. 
And his relationship opened that up to me, and I started to believe some pretty crazy things about what God loves, God's love for me was like. I want to read to you from this whole, this whole thing. I would love for you to go home and just read Song of Songs out of the Passion Translation. I've been reading it all year, and I've only just got to the end of it. It's only a few pages long. But in order to actually believe each page before I turn over, in order to actually believe it, and... We read this in Song of Songs, verse 2. Suddenly, Jesus, he transported me into his house of wine, and he looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. Revive me with your raisin cakes. Refresh me again with your apples. Help me and hold me, for I am long sick. I'm longing for more, yet how could I take more? God took me into this passionate, intimate, experiential love relationship with Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Why does Satan get all the credit for sex? Everyone's like sex, ooh, bad, dirty, don't talk about it. That Do not bring that into, I mean, honestly, God invented it. And may I give you a crazy idea that maybe he invented it to show you something other than just sex? It's an illustration. What does sex involve? Naked vulnerability. Pleasure, pleasant feelings, love, intimacy, whispering giggling, a, a feeling like the two of you are the only two in the world. What if God wants all of that for you, with you? Naked vulnerability, pleasant feelings, fun, giggling, whispers, yeah. feeling like the two of you are the only two in the world. I'm not sharing this to make you jealous, or maybe I am, <laughs> if that's going to help. I'm sharing it with you because my relationship with Richard became a gateway and an illustration to me walking into an actual intimate relationship of feeling like this guy's in love with me. He's seriously in love with me. Now, here's the deal. I didn't see the temple, never walked in it, and yet I can completely understand the illustration. You may very well have never been married, never experienced a marriage like I've experienced it, had a failed marriage. It doesn't matter. The illustration is here, and I agree, it's few and far between, you don't often see it, but it exists, and I am putting it on display for you today, this kind of love relationship, it exists, and the very best of the best of it is the one that God wants to show you how he wants to relate to you, loved like a bride. Now, Richard, (laughs) while he was trying to convince me of how much he loved me, he um, did this, he heard of a farm, a rose farm, and he got a contract with this rose farm to have roses delivered to our door every Friday for two years. Every Friday, so you can imagine. The first day, I know, he's amazing. I know that's seriously romantic, hey? So, so that is why I now believe. Guess what my reaction was? Week one, I said, that's very nice. It's a beautiful, lovely. Week two, oh, that's surprising. Week three, four, five, the roses keep arriving. I'm the one who has to take the other ones out, wash the vase, <laughs> cut the stalks, get my fingers pricked, pull the leaves off. Every week the roses arrive. He gets, so he doesn't even remember. I'm, he gets credit for one time. He put in the contract. He put it on stop order. Awesome. You got me a bunch of flowers once. It was a very expensive bunch of flowers because it lasted for two years. But 
Other than that, brownie points, maybe three. Okay, I see a lot of you judging me hard. So I'm going to turn it on you. When last did you look at the sunrise and think, for me? When last did you sit in the shade of a tree and think, for me? Or did you say, eh, you started this stop order years ago, long before you had me in mind? I have a little pot plant outside my door with um, flowers on it. And do you know, it is uncanny how regularly those flowers flower on a day that I'm having a special event or had a special moment with God. Uncanny. A gift? Credit? Three brownie points? Ten? Oh, thanks, God. Thanks, yeah. A little bit of credit. Your love, mm, sunshine coming to me, 150 million miles. I'll let in, choo -choo, thanks, that's great. All the suntan I need, that's all the love that I have space for. Or do you let his love fall on you, warm you? Do you embrace it? Do you believe it? The next illustration I'd like to show is loved like a child. A father loving you like a child. When uh, my first baby was born, Kiara was our firstborn, we rushed off to the hospital and having a natural birth, so excited. Uh, I was in good health, but I'm very tiny and I'm trying to give birth, natural birth to this baby and I'm pushing my level best and I'm trying to figure out what to do. The doctor's standing there dressed in whites with white gumboots on. He looks like a butcher. We couldn't quite figure that out. That was a bit scary. And he's standing there and he is waiting to catch the baby and he's waiting and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and I'm in full-blown contractions, and he's got all the monitors on, and her heart rate's dropping, and her heart rate's dropping, and her heart rate's dropping, and he says to me, Jackie, you better push. And I said, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm doing my absolute best. And he's saying, her heart rate's dropping, Jackie. Her head is engaged. There's nothing I can do now. It's too late for a Caesar. If you do not get this baby out in the next two pushes, then I'm so, there's nothing more that I can do for you. Are you going to get her out? And I pushed and I tried my absolute level best. I put my life on the line and I pushed that baby out until my entire face was covered in a rash of burst blood vessels. My eyes were bloodshot red as Blood vessels burst in my eyes, and that little baby girl was born healthy and beautiful, screaming her lungs out, pink, pink, pink lips, and she was born, and I, I, I would have put my life on the line for her. I would give anything for her, loved like a child. Are you kidding me? Whether you've been a mom or not, you can identify with the unbelievable, huge passion that a, a parent has for their child. A week later, we went to a restaurant. None of our other friends had babies, so we had to try and be cool and stick up with the young adults in our church Sunday evening. We're out for dinner with the young adults. No time to, um, to, to be a little stay-at-home mom at home. And so we're sitting at the restaurant, and the boys are all 
in their early 20s. I mean, they're playing the fool, they're being silly. The girls are sitting on one side of this long table, and the men are sitting, men, the boy, young boys, one of them was a father, um, sitting on the other side of the table. We are having deep, meaningful conversations. They're being silly. And there's another table also from the church sitting uh, just outside the restaurant through the window. And unbeknown to us, those two tables are teasing each other, sending each other the bill, ordering things that they didn't need to order. This is how we build community, in case you were wondering. And... um, and Kiara's fast asleep parked behind me in her little pram, her little snug and safe, all tucked up. Nobody can see her. Um, and one of the, the girls opposite me says to me, where's Kiara? And I turn behind me and the pram is gone. Instantly, I looked up and realized the boys outside had thought it was a very funny joke to wheel her to their table. I laughed and then burst into tears and cried for three days (laughs) because I didn't notice for 15 minutes that she was gone. For 15 minutes, I never noticed that my baby girl who couldn't talk or walk, she didn't know my name, let alone my telephone number, and I hadn't taken care of her properly. And then the same baby girl, 13 years later, is lying in a hospital bed fighting for her life. And I'm like 80% fighting for her and 20% terrified for her to live, for what it will mean for me and how it will affect my life and how it would probably at that point be easier for me if she went now. And I bring you this verse. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Whatever your experience of love and marriage, whatever your experience of parenting, take the very very best of it, the perfectness of it, that's how God loves you. Not the ways that we mess up, not the ways that have been messed up towards us, but the perfection, the perfect version of that relationship, the passion of willing to, to burst blood vessels in order to deliver this child safely into the world, that's the kind of love that God loves you with. Loved like a bride, loved like a child, And how scandalous is this? Loved like the begotten. Loved like Jesus. If you do go and read Song of Songs in the Passion Translation, you'll see that he does a very, to me, a a shocking thing when I first read it. Because where the scripture says, I love you, my sister, my bride, in most translations, he's translated it, I love you, my equal my bride. And I thought, whoa, you can't say that. We're not equal to Jesus. That's not right. And then I started to do a little bit of a study on it to think, why did he, why did he uh, translate sister to be equal? 
And I started to read just how high Jesus had lifted us as co-heirs, even in Revelation where it says we sit with him on his throne and share his throne with him. To that point, he lifts us up, co-heirs with Christ. Is it even humanly possible? No, not humanly possible. Is it heavenly possible that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? Is there an illustration for this? Is there something that he's given us that can help us to believe this, that can help us to identify with it the way that we understand marriage and the way that we understand parenting? Yes, there is, but it's not commonly understood correctly because most people do not have the privilege of understanding what it means to be adopted or to have adopted a child. We have two adopted children in our family, but we never refer to them as adopted children, because in our family, adopted is not an adjective. Adopted is a post, past tense verb. Let me explain to you, those who are not grammatically inclined. So adjective describes a noun. That's what kind of child you are, an adopted child. This is what kind of child you are. That's, that doesn't exist in our house. We do not have adopted children and like what? Non-adopted? I don't even know what to call them. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. In our family, adopted is something that happened. It's a, it's a verb, a doing word that happened in history. You were adopted. Now you're one of our kids. So that is, just, that is just how we think. That is, it, it, and our children struggle to understand because that is their framework. They struggle to understand anything different. They say, Mommy, why do, why do they ask me uh, if, if I like being adopted? I don't understand. Why wouldn't I like being in my family? That's, that is like a, a ludicrous question. Do I like being in the family that I'm in? That, well, do you ask the other kids that? That's just bizarre. There's not adopted it makes no difference whatsoever. Uh, a beautiful quote I heard, which makes total sense to me, other than the we, we do have white children and black children, so it is clear who's adopted. But this quote says, I have four children. Two of them are adopted. I can't remember which two. That is exactly how it feels, to be perfectly honest, in a family like that. An illustration you may or may not have ever experienced, but I get it. I get how, G how God loves us. Like the begotten. God, love, God is closer than you think. He loves you like the most passionate lover. He loves you like the most passionate father. And he loves you like he loves Jesus. Passionately in love with you. I'm going to invite the band up as I just want to take a few more minutes to minister as I close. Why? I will, as I was preparing this message, I... I double-guess myself quite a lot when I'm preparing messages. And I was like, why, God? Why must I tell them? What, like, why is it important? Help me to understand. What, is the, what are you trying to say? What is it that you want to get across? And I was busy thinking this as I was driving about my day. And one of my tasks was uh, to pull, out, out, pull up outside the school and let one of my little boys out and drop him off at sport. Um, and he jumped out of the car. He's seven years old. Jumped out of the car and was running across in front of my car, I was parked on the left of the road, and he had to run in front of my car and then across the road to get to school. And as he was, I saw the way he jumped out of the car, he was looking for nothing. He was not going to stop and look across the road. And as he jumped out, I realized in one second, he's running like he's not going to stop. There's a car coming, and my window's closed. 
And as quick as I could possibly do, thank goodness for electric windows, I, I hit my window and shouted, Kate, stop! And he stopped one foot in the road and pulled back just before the car hit him. And God said to me, you're asking why I want my people to know that there is no veil between us? There is no window between us? How many times have you reached out to the people you love this week? To warn them, to touch them, to encourage them, to instruct them, to correct them, to lift them up off of their knees. How many times have you reached out to the people you love? You ask me, God says of me, why I want them to know I have traveled far more than 150 million miles to get to them. Man, I want that window down. I want them to walk into a relationship with me that is open and has barriers and that are completely broken down. My experience, my relationship with God, friends, that veil is torn. It is so wide open. I live my life. I, Jackie, I live my life on the blood in the holy of holies every day. I stuff up there. <laughs> I win there, I fail there, that's where I live. God wants you to live there too. He wants you to know, and yes, we're on earth. So right now, it's going to look sometimes like suffering. That blood, it's a willingness for us to enter into Christ's suffering while on earth. Knowing that heaven without earth... <laughs> without the old, is coming. But will you have heaven on earth now in the suffering? Will you have it in the suffering? I mentioned uh, in the interview and earlier about that moment at Kiara's bedside, wondering uh, why God had forsaken me, why I was suffering. And I want to read to you what God's answer was. I'll start with reminding you what I was saying. My God, my God, this is on the 27th of December, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've never withheld anything from you. My hands have always been open. Why would you ask this of me? Why would you ask of me the child that made me a mother? You know even now she is yours. I'm holding nothing back from you. Oh God, my God, the sacrifice is overwhelming. And he answered this from Song of Songs. Listen, my darling, you are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. You are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. And when I continued reading, I read the response that was mine to give that said this, to my bridegroom king, I've made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears, and the dawn has fully come. In spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you. The mountain of suffering love. Yes, I will be your bride. I will unite with you in suffering and join my life, heart and soul with yours. Ladies, will you stand with me? Will you risk with me today? Will you risk with me today? Because the bridegroom king would say this to you. 
as I said on the screen. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come away with me. I've come as you've asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. We started off this morning with Mark explaining to us that Jesus was looking at us with eyes like a dove. And we end it with this. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth, for now is the time to come away with me. Will you arise and come away with me? Will you finish this Arise conference answering this invitation to arise and come away with him with the response, then Jesus, may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I am fully yours. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Spare nothing, God. Hold nothing back until I am fully yours. We offer ourselves to you living sacrifices. Would you blow your breath on us? We arise, Jesus. We arise.